0: Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is Stephen Dimmitt, back with another Q&A episode. I'm flying solo again today and answering questions from patrons. My dear patrons, thank you, patrons, for your questions and for your support of the podcast I'll do a quick overview of how this works. These are questions from patrons who support me at the $10 or $15 level per month. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash Climbing. I put a link right there in your podcast app if you want to learn about ways to support the podcast. I decided to be selective about who submits questions for the Q and A's so that I'm not totally overwhelmed by the number of questions. And then I wanted to make these Q and A's available to everybody. It seems like a lot of you have similar questions and by doing it this way and sharing these questions and my answers, I only have to answer them once. And then if I get repeat questions in the future from people, from you guys over emails or DMs or whatever, I can just point you towards a and A. So... That's how this works. In this q and I answered quite a few questions about my own personal climbing and training and what has worked for me in the past and what has changed and some recommendations for training on the road. I got some questions from people who are van curious and thinking about striking out on the road and are concerned about losing their gains and things like that. So that's some of what we talked about. There's quite a few questions. Some of them are really fun and we span quite a few topics, but that's what we're getting into today. Thanks for tuning in. A few quick items of housekeeping before we jump into the episode. Once again, if you are loving the podcast and would like to support the Nugget Climbing podcast and support me in what I'm doing here, Patreon is the best way to do that. You can find out more at that link right there in your podcast app, patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing. Or you can go to thenuggetclimbing.com and look for the support the podcast button at the top of the page, and that'll tell you all there is to know about what I'm doing here and how you can help out. So that's the first thing. If you are getting a lot out of these Q&A episodes and you're the type of person who has tons of burning questions as I did many years ago, sitting at my desk, scouring the internet. I also do one-on-one consultations. If you are interested in that, I would love to jump on a Zoom call or a phone call with you for up to a couple hours and chat about anything that you are curious about. I'll answer questions about anything, climbing, training, performance, podcasting, you name it. I'm an open book. I would love to help you out. So if you're interested in that, you can learn more at thenuggetclimbing.com. Click on the coaching tab at the top of the page and click on get started. That'll take you to a little intro questionnaire so I can learn more about you and what you hope to get out of our conversation. And then I would love to jump on a one-on-one call with you. And if you would like, I offer recordings of those conversations as well. So I will record our call the same way I would record a normal podcast, and then I will send you an MP3 that is basically a personalized episode of our conversation just for you to refer back to in the future, and I'll throw together some show notes for you as well. So anyway, once again, the slash coaching if you want to check that out and I look forward to getting to know some of you through those conversations. If you love the show, another simple thing you can do that is actually a huge help to me is to leave a rating or review. Specifically on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts and you're loving the show, I would love it if you would take a few seconds and leave me a rating. Obviously, a written review would be great as well, but even just tapping on that five stars if you're loving the show is a huge help. I've realized a lot of people have actually discovered this podcast just by browsing on Apple Podcasts. So those reviews really do help. I really do appreciate them. I've read all of them, and your feedback means a hell of a lot. Thank you guys so much for your ongoing support. I appreciate the heck out of all of you and without further ado please enjoy q and a number 3 with yours truly my first question is from Phelan. Phelan writes hey love the podcast In recent episodes, you've mentioned a winter where you saw big improvements with a simple board session slash hangboard slash weight training routine. I'd be keen to hear more about what you were doing, and I'm wondering if there's a podcast episode in particular where you discuss it in more detail or depth. Thanks. Um, No, there is not an episode where I've gone in depth until now. I will do so right now and give you guys a little bit more context. So yeah, what Phelan is referring to, there were two winners in a row when I was living in Bend, Oregon. I think it was 2016 to 17 and then 2017 to 18 where I had a really cool little Woody in my garage. I was living in Bend, Oregon at the time, uh, renting a house with some friends and had built a Woody that was an eight foot wide, 40 degree board. And then right next to it was an eight foot wide, 20 degree board and spent a couple months Mostly climbing on that, doing a little weightlifting and some hangboarding. And both of those seasons of training led to some of my best performances ever in climbing. And in fact, in 2017, in February, after my first winter of training on the board, I went down to Bishop. I was training specifically for a bouldering trip to Bishop and had my best week of rock climbing ever. And I actually made a little video about it. It's super goofy. It's just me sharing that trip and a glimpse into my life during that one week in Bishop. It's called a week in Bishop. I will link to it in the show notes. But I had the goal going down there of sending three V10s that I had always wanted to do. And I was there for a week and only had five climbing days. And I climbed all three of them plus a fourth V10, did a V9 first try. Unfortunately, I had tried it years before, so it wasn't technically a flash, Uh, But flashed my first V8, did a bunch of other V8s. It was just my most productive week of climbing that I've ever had. Um, Unfortunately, I came out of that trip with a finger injury, uh, which led to quite a a roller coaster of recovery and missing a season at Smith and all sorts of other things. But yeah, so the program that I did for those two winners in the garage... I'm not gonna go into the nitty gritty details cause I don't think they actually matter. I did more or less the same thing two winners in a row. The details were slightly different and I got really similar results. So I'll talk about the program in general, what I was doing. And I'll talk about kind of the principles that I think made those two winners so effective. Um, and the biggest thing that I did is I just stripped down my program both of those winners, it was super, super simple. So I was bouldering two days a week on the board. I think I did that one winter. I think the other winner I did one day a week on the board and then one day a week in the climbing gym, but on a similar angle. So only on like 45 degree climbs in the commercial climbing gym. And that was it. I think I only bouldered those two days per week and I wasn't doing any other rock climbing. And then I was hangboarding quite a bit. I think I was hangboarding three days per week. And I was doing a combination of kind of max hangs in a half crimp position, uh, three sets of 10 second hangs, something along those lines. And then I was pairing that with Steve Bechtel's ladder program not building the volume each week, but just doing a couple ladders with some other grips just to make sure that my fingers were still being exposed to some different grip positions and just adding a little variety. So I was doing the max hangs with the half crimp and then I would do ladders with open four, three finger drag and a full crimp. And I would just do two rounds of those. I think I was doing that hangboard lineup three days a week And then I was weightlifting two or three days a week. I think the first winter I did two days, the second winter I did three days. But the key thing is that I focused on really, really high quality, and I stripped out everything that was unnecessary from my program. So the hangboarding was really short, high intensity, and really high quality sessions three days a week. Uh, The weightlifting, I think I was only focusing on deadlifting and bench pressing, and I was trying to use a minimal effective dose approach. So I was training really low volume, relatively high intensity, and not worrying too much about adding more weight every session. I was just trying to maintain or build a little bit of strength as a foundation. And then I was putting most of my focus of the week into these two board sessions. And I think those looked pretty similar. I would focus on different projects each day, but the format of the session was pretty similar. And I'll just talk about a few things that I think made it so effective. So the first thing is that I was really, really thoughtful about how I set up my board and all of the holds and the setting and the boulder problems that I was doing were really targeted towards Bishop. I had spent a lot of time there and I knew what size of holds I needed to be climbing on. I set boulders that had really hard foot tension moves. It wasn't moon board style. It was much more static tension style on the board, even though it's the same angle board and I wasn't setting replicas, but I was really trying to target a specific style that I knew would translate to Bishop really well. Um, Another thing I was doing is I, each session, I was doing a mix of perfect repeats and max projecting. And what that would look like is I would build in some perfect repeats into my warmup. So I would do a normal warmup, and then I would really take that second tier warmup seriously and make sure that... You know, if I was projecting a V10 that session, I would try to repeat two or three or even four V7s, V8s, maybe even try to do a V9 that I hadn't been able to do yet and just try to climb them perfectly. Like the sevens and eights are things that I had climbed many times. I had them taped on my board so I remembered them and I was relentlessly pursuing perfection on those climbs. And I would videotape why did I just say videotape? I would film with my iPhone every single attempt on those climbs and I would film it. I would do it. I would review. And if I wasn't happy with how I climbed it, I would continue to repeat that climb until I felt like I'd done it perfectly. Um, So I would do all of that. And another key thing is that I wouldn't let myself do too much of that. I wouldn't be tired by the time I started trying the V10. Um, I would just make sure that I had tried hard and done a couple perfect repeats so that I was really well warmed up for something hard. And then I would project, I would project maybe two or three different climbs that were all kind of V10-ish for me near my limit on that style and spend anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half putting really high quality tries into those climbs on the board. And that was kind of it. I just kind of rinsed and repeated that for a couple months, both of those winners. And as I said, that first winter, it led to my best bouldering trip that I've ever had, my best week of climbing that I've ever had. Uh, the second winter, I came out of that program even stronger than the first time and then went down to Bishop again and just got unlucky with weather. Um, a fire broke out and a lot of the climbing was closed. It was just kind of an unfortunate timing sort of thing. Um, and Right after that is when I kind of slipped down the rabbit hole of some disordered eating habits and really trying to pursue weight loss and kind of sabotage some of those improvements that I'd made. But yeah, the principles of that program, really high quality, stripping all of the fluff out of the program, just really focusing on one angle of bouldering in a specific style that I wanted to get better at. It worked, you know, Um, I think the more focused you can be in your training, the more you are going to get out of that specific thing. And then, you know, you might be letting some other things go by the wayside, but that's okay. Um, That's something I've changed my mind about. I used to be really neurotic about trying to maintain everything all the time. And the truth is, I don't think you can do that and make significant progress in one given direction. But what you can do is focus on something, get better at it, and then those other things that you let slide will come back very quickly because you've built that sort of strength or skill or whatever it is before, and it's always easier to get it back the second time. So anyway, I hope I answered your question, Phelan. I'd be happy to go into more specifics if you're interested. But I'm kind of hesitant to because, again, I don't think the protocols or the specifics about exactly what days I was doing what. I don't think that really matters. I think the larger overview or the higher level principle of just stripping things down, really focusing, making sure that you're prioritizing whatever is the number one priority. For me, it was getting better at a specific angle of climbing on a specific style of holds. I planned my whole week around those board sessions and sure enough, I got a lot better at that style on the board and it translated really well to Bishop. So yeah, I think that worked really well. I'll probably do something similar to that if I end up living in a house and have a board at my disposal again. Uh, But honestly, it's not that dissimilar from how I've been training on the road. Um, This is really similar to the structure of my training Over the summer, working with Steve Mache and climbing on the spray wall back in Wenatchee, I had a pretty similar approach, and it's also pretty similar to how I've been approaching my bouldering trips in Waco and in Rocky Mountain. The priority is on the climbing days, really high quality, having a little variety mixed in to make sure I'm not just hammering the same thing all the time, adding a little supplemental strength stuff, but not too much and really making sure that the climbing takes the top priority. So I hope that rambling answer is helpful. Okay, next question is from Andrew. Have you climbed at any of the well-known East Coast cracks? Example, New River Gorge. If not, are there any areas you are dreaming about going to? I have not climbed at the New. I've climbed at the Red once for a week back in, I think, 2015. It was quite some time ago. And I have never climbed at the New. I've never climbed at Rumney. That is a place I would really like to go check out sometime. And, yeah, the New looks amazing. I would love to go. I don't have any plans to right now. I don't know if I daydream about it necessarily just because there's so much to do, man. Um, The more places I go the more overwhelmed I feel by the number of things I want to do. And I'm the type of person that prefers to spend more time really getting to know an area and really leaning into it and absorbing what I can and learning what I can from an area versus bouncing around all over the place. And right now I'm pretty psyched on Rifle and St. George and Rocky and Waco and some of the places in the West And I think that'll keep me busy for a while, but I definitely will make it out to the East Coast one of these days, and I'm sure I will fall in love with it when I do. This question is from Jimmy. How much running should someone do for sport climbing to build cardio? Let's say fitness level is currently at making it to the parking lot at Smith without stopping, but pretty winded. Okay, for people listening, when you go to Smith, you have to hike down from the parking lot to the river, and then you walk around the river on this path towards the climbing. So at the end of the day, you always have to hike back up the big hill to get back to your car. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I currently don't do any running for my sport climbing, but I do quite a lot of hiking and a lot of walking. And... I've really come to prefer that. It's really nice when the hiking is built into the climbing that you're doing because then you don't really have to think that hard about it. I guess the simplest answer would be I would recommend doing the least amount of running you feel like you can get away with unless you just really enjoy running for its own sake. And if you can, if you're climbing at an area without a lot of hiking, then I think a really good thing to do is just go on longer walks each day on your rest days or go on easy hikes on your rest days. Just add more hiking in, things like that. I think that's a little bit more relevant to the kind of fitness you need for sport climbing, Um, both getting fit for the approach to the climb, but also that kind of start and stop and the higher intensity of hiking up a steep hill, things like that. I think that translates a little better, and I think it's easier to recover from. So if you hike, I think you are less likely to compromise any of the other things you'll be training, your strength or your specific climbing endurance. And in my experience, at least, when I have gotten into running I think it's easy to get a little overstoker with it and push a little too hard. And maybe that's good for fitness, but maybe it compromises some of your specific climbing qualities, fitness, etc. So those are my thoughts. Everyone seems to be different as far as this goes. Some people really love running. And I'm talking about elite performers here that I talked to. It seems like most climbers don't do much of it, but they're very active people. They're hiking every day to the crag or to explore new areas or they just live a pretty active lifestyle and the cardio is just kind of built in. So in summary, once again, I would say the least amount that you can get away with. If you feel like your cardio is holding back your sport climbing, I think you're probably better off working on climbing specific fitness, whether that's on a tread wall or doing laps in the gym, up-down-ups, something along those lines, because I think that type of fitness is really specific to your activity. Okay, this question is from Joe. I'm going to read a paragraph from Joe with his question, which provides some context. Joe writes, Am I limiting myself by not getting many trips outside of Northern California areas? I spend a lot of time bouldering in Tahoe, my hometown, but I also take weekend trips To other places in the Sierras, occasionally like Bishop or Yosemite, or some obscure areas in between. I have no real work schedule where I can plan out yearly trips, but I do have the ability to take time off here and there from my blue-collar construction work in Tahoe. So I'm guessing my main season and best season to travel would be the winter. I've been going to Bishop the last few years, except during COVID, when I stayed in Tahoe. Any suggestions for a good place to travel? Roy, Waco, Joe's, they all seem more or less good, but I'm not sure what's going to help me grow the most as a climber. Can I just climb in one place like Tahoe and still progress? I need to sport climb more, which I don't do at all, really, but my main focus is bouldering. Yeah, Joe, this is a really good question. I think the first thing I would say is why did you say... I need to sport climb more. I think that's an interesting thing to explore. And I guess what I'm getting at is what do you want to do? What kind of climber do you want to become? What excites you? And why do you feel like you need to do something that you don't spend any of your time doing? Um, Because I've done a lot of this in the past. I'm the type of person that feels like I should do a lot of things that other people place value on. I feel like I want to be a well-rounded climber. And so I catch myself thinking, oh, I should spend more time trad climbing. But when it comes down to it, I'd rather go sport climbing than trad climbing. And that's what I really, truly deep down want to do. I want to sport climb. I want to boulder. I want to get better at doing hard climbing. And the other stuff that I feel like I should be doing isn't actually as important to me, at least right now. So I think that's a good place to start is taking a long look in the mirror and asking yourself, what do you really want to do? Um, You can get very, very good. And I'm sure you can continue to progress at the style of climbing in Tahoe by doubling and tripling down on it and becoming a specialist. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Having said that, if you want to become the type of climber that can go anywhere and jump on a new rock type and, climb pretty well or climb consistently at the level that you want to across a lot of different styles, then yeah, I would encourage you to put some thought into diversifying your climbing. I think all of the places you listed, Roy and Waco and Joe's are excellent options. I I think Waco and Joe's especially are going to feel pretty different from what you're used to in Tahoe from what i understand i haven't climbed there but tahoe seems really similar to leavenworth it seems technical it's granite there's a lot of feature climbing squeezing things like that where joe's feels much more like climbing on gym climbs but outdoors you're pulling on edges you're jumping to holds it's a little bit more like climbing on a board and then waco is more like physically hard gym climbing too. So those things are going to give you some more of the raw finger strength and some of the, the raw pulling power and things like that that you might not get as much in Tahoe. And I think those types of strengths translate really well to a lot of other climbing. So I think those are both good options. But yeah, I don't know if I can tell you what you should do. I think that needs to come from some introspection and thinking about where you want to go as a climber and what excites you. I think the best thing you can do, and I'm still learning this myself, but I think the best thing you can do for your own climbing is to honor your motivation and listen to what excites you, and then just go all in on that. I think that is incredibly powerful and leads to good things. Okay, Joe also writes, It is one of my goals to create more video content of climbing. It's something I feel creative and artistic about. There's plenty of FAs here locally, and I have built out a van to explore and to see and do more and create more. I'm really inspired with what you are doing. And one of my long-term goals is to do a mix of beta videos for my audience that's interested, but also mix in cool music edits that are longer with more content. The way I look at it is I could use any advice I can get, and then Joe goes on to tell me a little bit more about his life situation, and it sounds like he really wants to give this video project idea everything he's got. That's awesome. There's never been a better time in the history of the world to try new things and create your own platform. It's amazing what you can learn on the internet these days at YouTube University. You can learn how to start a podcast. You can learn how to start a business. You can learn how to make and edit videos and monetize them, etc. So if you're excited about that, I would encourage you to just start doing it. And I think the number one thing I would say is try to make the thing that you really want to see. If there's some type of climbing video or media that would really excite you that doesn't exist, then try to make it. And if you're feeling that there's a need there, it is incredibly likely that there are other people that feel that need as well. And then the other side of that coin is that if you're serious about it, if you have the idea for the thing that you want to make, the clear vision for the thing you want to make, decide to be a professional. And what I mean by that is that there are a lot of people making content these days. Anyone can make a podcast or YouTube videos, and so everyone does. And the only way that you are going to stand out is by committing to doing a really good job and acting like a professional. So what that means is investing in equipment. Make sure that you have the right equipment for the job that you want to do. Make sure that you learn how to... Make the audio sound good. Make the video look good. Either invest the time to learn how to edit or find someone who you can outsource that to that will do a really good job. Those are the sorts of things. Don't put out crappy videos and expect them to take off. It's never been easier to learn how to make a good video. And so invest in yourself and spend the time to do it right. And at the end of the day, either people will be excited about it and they'll jump on board and they'll want to watch or they won't. And it doesn't matter because you will be making the thing that you are dying to watch. And in my experience, that is incredibly fulfilling in its own right. But thanks for the question, Joe. If you have any more follow-up questions about that, feel free to email me and I wish you the best of luck. And I can't wait to see what you produce. Okay, this question is from a different Andrew. Andrew writes, I've been more focused on training lately and found an interview where you mentioned training hard but not seeing the results your friends saw. How has your approach changed? How did you originally develop a training program and how do you develop one now? What does your training look like now? Great questions. First, I'll talk about what I think I was doing wrong when I was having that frustration of training really hard and not seeing the gains that I felt like other people were seeing. And then I'll talk I'll tie that into how I'm approaching my training now. So I can point to two things that led to some of my frustration when I felt like I was training hard and not getting the results. Uh, the first one is that I don't think I was eating enough or eating properly. One of the biggest life-changing things that I have adjusted in recent years is making a concerted effort to eat more protein every single day than I used to. And I've talked about this a lot, but what I try to aim for now is one gram of protein per pound of body weight per day, which seems really high if you've never eaten that way before, but it actually becomes surprisingly easy. And has solved a lot. I'll just speak for myself personally. It has solved a lot of other problems for me. It's really reduced cravings and my desire to eat crappy junk food things that I probably shouldn't be eating anyway. I have better energy. I feel like I'm recovering a lot better, and I feel like I maintain strength very easily when I'm not training, when I'm on a climbing trip, for instance. So those things have all been awesome. I think tied with that is that I'm also just eating more food than I used to, eating more of the right foods every day, Um, whole foods, for instance, and just getting more calories than I used to, and being okay with letting my body weight settle at a slightly higher number than I've been at in the past. I think those have been the biggest things. I've been really surprised in the last year with how my body has responded to training programs that I've done. I've done some of the same things that I did in the past. And they just seem to be working better now. My body's adapting the way that I feel like it should. And I really would point to that change in my lifestyle as being one of the the most positive shifts. Um, So that's the number one thing. And then the second thing is moving away from this idea that suffering is required to make progress. And I'll explain what I mean by that. I think for many years, I thought that if I wasn't doing everything I possibly could, if I wasn't really suffering, then I wouldn't make the progress that I wanted to make. And I think a lot of that thinking has been counterproductive. Um, The biggest thing is that I think I'm the type of person who tends to try to do too much. So a lot of my training programs in my 20s were packed full with as much stuff as I could possibly fit into a given week. And I think I was just trying to do too much all the time, trying to max out strength gains all the time for months and months and months and never giving my body a chance to rest and recover from some of that training. I'm the type of person that reacts really strongly to a compelling argument. And so I started filling my program with all sorts of supplemental stuff. And I was doing weightlifting multiple times a week and also training plyometric stuff and rings and bodyweight stuff and working on one-arm pull-ups and climbing and generally just filling my program with a lot of junk and I don't think there's anything wrong with adding a lot of exercises to your training, but I think the number one thing that I was missing for a lot of years is that I never did the super high quality, high intensity climbing that really challenges your body and your fingers to adapt and to grow stronger. So what I would do is I would show up at the gym and I would just spend too much time warming up really thoroughly and spend too much time in that second stage doing a bunch of V7s and things like that. And then, you know, two and a half hours later, I'm like, oh, I I guess I'll finally get on this V10 that I had meant to project today. And by that time, I'm too tired to really get anything out of it. So I talked about this earlier with that winter training program, but I think in general, I've just really tried to focus better, strip things down. Let go of this neurotic tendency to try to do everything all the time. It's okay to focus on specific things in seasons throughout the year. And don't worry about doing all of the things that you wanna get better at as a climber. You can focus on one of those things for a couple months and then shift gears and focus on the next thing for the next couple of months. And you'll maintain a lot of those gains from the first round. So. Uh, That's the biggest thing, really focusing on quality over quantity. One of the trends that keeps popping up in the podcast is people getting really strong from just bouldering, from just putting really focused effort into their bouldering sessions throughout the week. I talked about this with Paige Klassen, uh, Nathan Hadley, Ben Harrington, most recently Dylan Barks. All different, but really similar approaches. And there's a really common theme there, which is just showing up, warming up efficiently, and then just getting straight to business and trying really hard on the bouldering wall. I think that's something that I would trade a lot of those hours of weightlifting and hangboarding for. If I could go back and do it again, I would scrap a lot of that stuff and just spend more time trying really, really hard on the spray wall or on boulders and putting more of that focus energy into climbing. So yeah, the final part of Andrew's question, what does my training look like now? That's the gist of it. I'm just trying to prioritize hard climbing over everything else and doing as little supplemental stuff as I feel like I can get away with. And something that has really helped for me is to have a coach. I've been working with Steve Mesh and just having an outside perspective basically having someone save me from myself and from my own worst tendencies has been incredibly helpful and that's another thing i wish i had done a lot sooner is just get another pair of eyes on my climbing and my training okay another question from andrew i've recently sold my house and plan on taking advantage of nomadic living via short term leases airbnbs with a goal of climbing and exploring What's your best advice for nomadic living? How do you find community and make connections despite frequent moves? Andrew, you should start a podcast. It's awesome. It's an amazing way to maintain community. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Obviously do that if you have a good idea for one, but I feel incredibly lucky to have this project. It has connected me with a lot of amazing people everywhere I go, but... Honestly, I think my simplest answer is that the climbing community is quite small and is incredibly beautiful, such an amazing group of people. And if you are pursuing a specific type of climbing, whether it's bouldering or sport climbing or whatever it is, it's amazing, but you always seem to find the same people at all these different destinations. And I think the more you explore, the smaller the community and the more closely knit the community Feels. So I wouldn't be surprised if you feel like you're starting from scratch the first few times you move around. But then if you stay on the road for a while and you start revisiting the same areas, you'll start to reconnect with a lot of the same people from those areas or from different areas. We're all chasing the same weather and it gets really fun. It's always this mix of new people and these really fun and often unexpected reencounters with people that I've met years ago at different places. So I think if you're out there pursuing the climbing, those connections will just happen. Another thing, I can't remember who I heard this from, but there's this really simple quote that has stuck with me, which is just choose to go first. Choose to be the person that says hello, that says, hey, what's your name? That Sparks up a conversation with someone that you meet out climbing. Even if someone looks like they're not very welcoming, you know, they might just be out there focused on the climb that they want to do. As soon as you strike up a conversation, I find this happens 99% of the time. That person turns out to be super friendly, is eager to talk to you. And even if they're focused on the climb they want to do, it leads to a great conversation. Maybe you go climbing together and all of a sudden you have a new friend. So, Choose to go first and strike up those conversations when you meet people at the crack. Okay, final question from Andrew. He writes, "You seem like a thoughtful person. Do you have a quote, motto, etc., that best describes your approach to living?" Man, that is such an excellent question, and I have too many to share. Um, I actually keep a word document full of. Quotes exactly like this. When I stumble into something that really resonates with me, I write it down and I keep them all in a Word document that I keep on my Google Drive and refer to from time to time. Uh, But the thing is, is that I think different quotes, different mottos hit differently at different times. And I tend to kind of cycle in and out of them, cycle in and out of things that I'm focused on. And kind of keep something as my motto until I feel like I've internalized it, until I feel like I've integrated it into my being, into my life and how I live my life. And then something else will hit and I'll focus on that one. And I'll just share the thing that is resonating with me right now. And I actually recently shared this in the profile of my Instagram at Stephen Dimmitt, my personal Instagram, but it's this very simple quote and it just says, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. And I think that is such a powerful reminder because it is so common that we think we have all the time in the world to get around to the things that are important to us. You know, we think that we will leave this job that we don't like and try something new and try something more fulfilling when the time is right, or part of us wants to pursue training and pursue improvement in climbing. And we just think, ah, I'm just kind of busy right now. That's something I'll focus on when I have more time, or I haven't been climbing much because I've been so busy with my kids. I just haven't had time, things like that. There's so many ways that this shows up in our lives all the time, where we think that we can get to the things that are important later on. And this quote for me just reminds me that how my day looks today and how my day looked yesterday and how my day looks tomorrow, that really quickly becomes the summary of the life that I'm living. And so what do I want that to look like? Am I waiting for something? Am I waiting for lightning to strike and for me to magically have new opportunities and more time, the likelihood is that that's not gonna happen unless I prioritize that, unless I choose those things as a priority and make them happen. So anyway, it's just a really simple reminder to make today look like the type of life that I wanna have. We can choose to do that every day and There's no better time to start moving towards the things that we want than right now. Okay, this question is from Casey. I'm hitting the road to climb and work remotely full time. I am truly worried about breaking the chains away from my strenuous and rigorous training cycle in the gym mindful that the reason I train is to climb, but I'm worried about losing strength, which is utterly stupid, but also mindful of the sheer benefits of just climbing all the time with rest and recovery in mind. I'm finally at a place in my life where I can do this, and I'm smith-bound this Friday and then pushing on south. Any advice from the true expert on progressing and getting stronger, maintaining strength while living in the van full-time, Do you supplement with gym time or does the hangboard slash kettlebell slash climb and boulder keep your progression in check? This is an awesome question. I can totally relate to it. I am the type of person that tends to freak out about losing my gains when I finally get to go climbing and I've thought about this a lot. I've also changed my mind about it a lot. I've already talked about this in this Q&A, but I used to worry too much about trying to maintain all of the different strengths that you build in these training cycles and in the gym. I've let go of that a lot because I keep meeting more and more and more people the longer that I live on the road and travel and the more people I talk to on the podcast. I keep meeting more and more people all the time who are incredibly strong, who just rock climb. They hardly ever train or they never train or they only train in specific seasons throughout the year. They climb a lot on rock. They climb a lot of different types of things. And they're much further along this climbing journey than I am. And so that's a really good reminder for me I think it really helps to look at people like Drew Ruana. You know, he just spent almost an entire year exclusively climbing outside and projecting hard boulders, didn't spend any time in the gym, and came through the end of that feeling like he was his strongest ever. And he admitted that he lost some of the just kind of raw, brute gym strength from, you know, doing his crazy one-arm supermans on the rings and things like that. But he felt stronger than ever on the actual rock climbing. Jonathan Segrist is another guy that I look to who's a really good reminder for me. Jonathan usually trains like one season per year for six weeks or so, and then is able to maintain that for the rest of the year just through climbing. And so... What I think really helps is to kind of zoom out and look at people like that and look at what they're doing right. One thing that I think is really important is to mix in bouldering or to mix in high intensity types of climbing to make sure that you're maintaining some of that raw strength and power. And I think if you're doing some of that sprinkled in throughout the year, you can maintain for a really long time. One thing that I know Jonathan does because he primarily sport climbs all year round is that he will seek out short and really intense kind of punchy sport climbs and do those sprinkled in from time to time to make sure that he's he's basically kind of hacking that and spending time bouldering on a rope and making sure that he's mixing those climbs in to maintain strength and power. Another consideration is I think it really depends where you're climbing. That's something I've learned in the last year If I'm climbing in Rocky Mountain or in Waco or even in Rifle, I feel like I don't need to do much at all to maintain top strength. I might even be getting stronger from my time out here in Rocky Mountain, for instance. If I was climbing at Smith a lot, I think I would probably try to supplement a little bit of the types of things that keep your body strong because that's a style where you're very often limited by your fingers and your skin. And so it's hard to climb enough hard moves in a day to maintain strength the way that you would if you're in a place like Waco. So that's a consideration. If you're in a more technical area, a more vertical area, places like that, that might be a good opportunity to try to maintain some strength through some training. And I want to highlight something here. I think the good news is you don't need to do much at all. It takes shockingly little supplemental training to maintain strength when you're climbing all the time. So if I were at Smith, I might do a strength workout in the van and it would probably look really similar to what I was doing in Waco with Steve Mache. Uh, You can reference that episode if you want to and look at my program in the show notes. But just that simple resistance training program of some overhead pressing, some scapular strength. Maybe I would do some max hangboarding, like one arm hangs on big holds or something like that to make sure that I'm really pulling hard on my fingers and just do a handful of hangs. The whole program might take 30 minutes and I would probably only do that once a week or once every two weeks. It takes incredibly little effort to maintain that sort of strength. And I think if you're at a place like Smith or somewhere technical, that paired with the climbing that you're doing would keep you really close to your max strength. The other thing is that I wouldn't stress about being at your peak strength all the time. I think it's really good to let that ebb and flow a little bit. Let your body recover and really integrate some of those gains and not just be pressing the pedal to the floor all the time, all year round. I think that can lead to stagnation or injury or burnout. So I think letting things ebb and flow a little bit is really good. And finally, and most importantly, Casey, you're finally on the road. You get to climb. Just make sure that you enjoy it and think of it as practice. I think there are so few of us who have really become the best climbers we can be in the skill and technical aspect. I think most of us have tons of room for improvement as far as that goes. And I think for most of us with modern training and modern gyms, those things are probably lagging behind our physical strength and capabilities. So, Think of this time as practice. It's time to practice your sport, to really learn how to utilize all the strength that you've gained from all of your training, get the best performances, work on your footwork, work on your mental game, work on your commitment, work on removing hesitation from your climbing, all of these things, there's so much to practice. And those are the sorts of things that are a lot harder to get from climbing in the gym. So make the best use of your time and enjoy it, and I think you'll come out of this trip a much better climber. I'm excited for you. Okay, this question is from Clay. You have a few catchphrases that you consistently use in interviews. Perhaps the most famous is, what are you grateful for? Which we heard your answer for last time. But to me, the most interesting thing you say is, how do you think about that? The phrase is simultaneously very open-ended, yet stimulates great conversation by asking the interviewee to look deeper. And I was wondering if it's something you consciously chose to include in your interviews, or if it's just something that happens naturally. So I guess what I'm asking is, how do you think about, how do you think about that? Oh boy, what a good question. Thank you so much, Clay. I don't know exactly where that phrase came from. I probably sponged it from somebody. I listen to a lot of interviews and podcasts, so I wouldn't put it past myself. I'm not going to claim it as an original. But I do really like it too. And I think the reason I've continued to use that is that open-endedness that you were referring to. Um, I really like to try to guide conversations in interesting directions and have interesting questions prepared, but I never want to assume that I know better than my guest as far as what is going to be the most interesting thing to talk about. So I have a lot of notes going into an interview and I have things that pique my curiosity, but I want to give my guests space to explore whatever feels most interesting to them cuz ultimately i think that is going to be the most interesting answer that they can possibly give it's going to it's going to come through the lens of their own self-examination and that phrase is is almost a crutch i think i use it when i'm trying to ask a specific question and i don't know quite where to go with it and i just <laughs> Ah, leave it open like that and let them tackle it however they want to. But it seems to work really well. And I think I've continued to lean on that phrase because I keep getting good responses from that approach. So anyway, Clay, thank you. I think your question was much more thoughtful than my answer, Um, but I appreciate it. Those are some kind words and it means a lot. Okay, getting towards the end here, I have a few final questions from my dear friend, Casey McTaggart. They are hilarious as always. Casey asks, did you really dye your hair blonde? If so, why not purple? I tried to dye my hair red once and I looked like a stop sign. (laughs) That's a great visual. Yes, I did recently bleach my hair platinum blonde. For listeners, think Slim Shady circa early 2000s, maybe, whenever he did that. It started as a joke. I don't remember how it came up, but it's something I'd been thinking about for a while. And then it turned into this joke where I think I'm going to dress up as Eminem for Halloween, which is just around the corner, and just decided, screw it. I'm going to do something fun and something new and bleach my hair. So... Nothing against purple at all. Maybe that'll be the next thing. But for now, I'm kind of digging the bleached platinum blonde hair. It's it's kind of fun. And if you're listening to this and you're curious what I look like, I did just post a bouldering video on my personal Instagram at Stephen Dimmitt. I will link to that in the show notes so you can see what I look like with my bleached blonde hair. Another question from Casey, any person totally non climbing related that you'd love to have on the podcast? There are so many, actually, the longer I do this, the more interested I am in talking with everybody. I feel like my list of interviewees or potential guests has become almost infinite. And I so enjoy doing this and talking with people and asking them thoughtful questions. So Yeah, it's a really long list. I mean, in general, I'm interested in talking with anyone that has something to teach me. And that list is pretty damn near infinite. But in particular, I think I'm really interested these days in personal growth, in living an examined life and what that looks like and learning how our brains work and learning how we process things and how we shape our own personalities, how things like trauma and things like positive and negative experiences play into that and the power that we have to change who we are and who we wanna become. I'm very interested in all of that. So maybe someone who knows a lot about the brain and how that works and how that plays into our identity and personality, uh, something along those lines maybe that would be some sort of psychologist or therapist. I don't know, but I'm really interested in continuing to grow and evolve as a human being beyond just climbing, as you guys know from listening to the podcast. So someone like that, I think would be really fun to have on. I think digging into relationships and talking about that would be really fascinating. Someone who maybe works with couples and does couples therapy or just is an expert in communication or relationships, someone like Esther Perel, I think would be fascinating to have on because I think relationships are one of the most complex things that every single one of us navigates in our life as human beings. They're endlessly complex. And whenever you bring two people together who are constantly changing and evolving and have all of their own baggage and their own stories that they're bringing to this partnership. I think that's just a really fascinating thing. And I would love to learn from someone who works on that sort of stuff for a living. I think that would be very interesting. But yeah, the list is long. I would love to lean into some of the music stuff too, and maybe interview someone who is a professional musician or a music producer or something along those lines. Because I think there are some very interesting parallels between music and climbing. And of course, I have my own background and interest in music. So there's a few answers for you and uh, we'll see what happens. Stay tuned. Have you ever been that person that absentmindedly picked out all the M&Ms from someone else's trail mix? She writes, I have, and I felt so bad I biked to the grocery store to replace them. That is hilarious. I have not done that, but if I did, I would not replace them. I would just eat those M&Ms and I would leave the bag of nuts and raisins behind and I would never mention it again. They would never know it was me. Okay, say you're in a car with someone and you're the dj and you pick a song that you always sing along to when you're by yourself and to you it sounds pretty good (laughs) what song would you pick oh boy um totally depends on the mood totally depends on the person i don't sing out loud with people in the car very often so it would have to be a pretty damn close friend of mine i think But totally depends on my mood. First thing that comes to mind is Literally Anything by Kevin Garrett. I'm a huge fan of Kevin. He does kind of pop, soul, R&B sort of stuff that I am way into, and he and I have a similar vocal range, so that's really fun to sing along to. And then, I don't know, it could be Billie Eilish, it could be Justin Timberlake, it could be Taylor Swift, it could be hip-hop, I could be rapping along with something. It totally depends on my mood, and with Spotify, the list is endless. Do you channel your inner scary dinosaur before trying Ascend? Your inner Zen Buddhist monk? Your inner rabid squirrel? Your inner fox cobra? The sneak attack strategy? I suppose that gets at the larger question of what mindset works best for you when trying hard. I'm going to go with option E, honey badger those animals are terrifying and so badass now i it really depends on the route i think my mindset before trying a route i think i'm very often trying to be calm and trying to focus on my breathing and trying to let go of expectations just focusing on giving my best performance and as hazel finley would say be with each move just focus on the climbing and let the outcome be what it would be. I think that is my go-to most of the time. Uh, But it really depends. You know, some routes or specifically boulder problems, you just have to get a little pissed off and angry. And I think in that case, I'm trying to harness like some angry hip hop, you know, where you're dropping a beat and just trying to throw down that sort of thing. But most of the time, I don't know if it's quite inner Zen Buddhist monk, but it's trying to be calm and focused and as present as possible and let the outcome be what it will be. And then the trick is learning how to turn it on at those key moments when you need to just try as hard as you possibly can. Final question of this Q and A, when will you start trying to do stunts in videos? And can we send you things to try, specifically skateboard tricks? No, please send all of your stunt videos to Allison Vest at Allison Vest on Instagram. I am not interested in trying to pull off stunts unless Allison is interested in doing a collaboration with me. I think that could be really fun. But watching what she does, I think I would have broken my neck three times already. And she's funnier than me. So just send them to her and follow her on Instagram and sit back and enjoy the mayhem. But there may be a time in the future where you will be able to send me songs that you want me to cover and I will be producing cover songs on my Instagram. That is something I would love to do. But we'll see. I keep wanting to do that and I keep not doing it because I spend so much time on the podcast. Okay, that's it friends. Thank you to all of you who are still listening. I hope some of that was helpful. I really appreciate everyone for tuning in. I appreciate patrons for submitting excellent and thoughtful questions. These are very fun for me to do. So I really appreciate it. Once again, if you want to have your question featured in the next Q&A, you can do that by becoming a patron of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. It is an excellent way to support my work and support the regular podcast. And then you get to send me questions and I'll answer them on the show. And if you have too many questions for me to tackle in a Q&A, I also do one-on-one consultations. I would love to jump on a Zoom call and talk with you for a couple hours and chat about anything that you want to ask me about, whether it's performance climbing, training, my experiences with nutrition or diet or podcasting, how to make a podcast, how to grow your network, whatever it is. I would love to meet you and get to know you a bit and answer questions and do anything I can to help. If you are interested in that, go over to thenuggetclimbing.com and click on the coaching tab at the top of the website. Finally, a simple thing you can do if you love the show, I would love it if you would leave me a rating or a review on Apple podcasts that really does help grow the show and reach new listeners. And It's a really simple way to help out. It only takes a few seconds and I really appreciate it. I read all of them. There's some really kind comments in those reviews and they really light me up. It really makes my day when someone leaves me a kind and thoughtful review of the podcast. All right, that's it. Thank you guys once again for listening. Much love to all of you. And we will be back next week with another normal episode with an amazing guest, and we'll see you then. Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13. You've been working, watch your blurting with the weekend. You can freak out. One in a million. You're a gem, shine when the light grows dim. Sing one, one, two, three, four. Cut, cut, cut. We do it like we do it. We got the right stuff.